0: This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor David. Well, I so appreciate, don't you appreciate Pastor David and Katie and Pastor Bernie and Janice? Mrs. Pastor, Mrs. Pastor, I understand she's properly called. Um, you know, I, I sent something today when you were receiving the offering this morning. Uh, you talked about the envelope. Everybody else uh, in Indiana, they say envelope. You know, so many other places they say envelope. And so I felt at home this morning just to hear that word pronounced properly. So thank you very much. Um, I want to take a quick minute, as we did this morning, and say thank you for giving to your church. Um, I want to encourage you to just be great, faithful tithers and givers to uh, High Desert Word Center. Um, I, I would do that even if you all did not support us, but you do. You Every month when you support your church, uh, every month we receive a, a financial gift from you that uh, help. Well, I'll show you where it helps us go. If we could go to the first slide. Um, these are the countries I've been privileged to preach in. Uh, we were in nine different countries last year, but these are the countries that I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel in. We'll be going back this year to some of the countries I've been before. Uh, we're going to Australia in April, and then we'll follow that with two new nations, uh, Papua New Guinea and uh, the Philippines, I've never been to either of those countries, but that's where we're going in April. And then later in the year, we're going back to Brazil and Colombia. And so we'll be out of the country around two months this year. We may add some other overseas trips, but um, uh, this is where, you know, you help send us. And everywhere we go and and get to see people saved and blessed and churches and leaders built up, uh, your fingerprint is on that. Because of what you put in the envelope. Yes. Okay? Alright. So, thank you very much. Let's go to the next slide. I'm really showing these for Pastor Bernie because at lunch today he was asking about our books going into especially some of the Muslim nations. And this, how many of you have heard of the Kurds? The Kurds. That's a, a group in the Middle East. Um, they're, they don't have their own country. There are Kurds in Iraq... Uh, Turkey, Syria, and I'm thinking there might be some in Iran, but I'm not sure. But the gentleman holding the book, um, and that is our book on grace, the DNA of God in the Arabic language. He is a Kurdish pastor, uh, Arabic speaking, and the, the missionary with him in the green shirt who's not holding the book, uh, that's one of our Rama graduates whose ministry is based in Erbil, Iraq, and, uh, Uh, that is actually, Larry is up in Turkey, uh, near the Syrian border. This is a different missionary named Grady Pickett. And they're just, you know, they're, I just marvel at what these guys do, where they live and how they minister and things like that. Uh, the next picture is, uh, in Egypt, uh, that line of people, uh, I'm signing books there. That is when our four books in Arabic were released in, I think that was August of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, no, 18, 2018, August of 2018. And four of our books were released in Arabic. Those are all Egyptian pastors. There were about 60 there that night that all got our books in Arabic. And it looks like a regular building, but we're actually on a boat there. and And we're on a boat in the Nile River in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, They rented a boat so we could have that meeting, and it was real fun. The next picture is the, uh, that's the actual gentleman that headed up the translation, and you can see the four books in Arabic there. Uh, He's a a well-to-do Egyptian businessman who loves the gospel, loves the word, and he started a he started a publishing company simply to get these kinds of books uh, into the Arabic language and across northern Africa and throughout the Middle East. So we're very thankful for him. I don't even remember what the next picture is. Let's take a look at it. Yeah, this is the new book that's available. You can pre-order it. This is what I talked about a little bit this morning. I did the seminar last year on the topic. And... Um, so you can pre-order that, but I want to give away a couple books, and I, I, here's here's the deal. I believe so strongly in what you're doing with invite is what, invite a friend to church. So in order to get a free book, um, you have to be planning to invite someone. All right? Is that all right? Yeah. Is, is is this a bribe? Is it a bribe? Quid pro quo. How about how about just incentive? All right. Now, this first book, and you can read the book, but I want you to, at least these first two, I want you to be having somebody in mind to give the books to after you've read it. Because, you know, stop and think about it. That's why God gives us stuff, so we can then pass it on to somebody else. This first book is our book called Life After Death. Rediscovering Life After the Loss of a Loved One. Now, how many of you know there's this thing that happens, everybody dies. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after, you know, there's going to be a time when there's not going to be any more death. But while we're here on this earth, that, you know, that happens. And how many of you know that can be one of the most difficult times in a person's life? And so I wrote, the very first book I wrote, I started this back in 2002. I think I finished it in 2003 Um, I wrote about how God can help us and comfort us when we've had a a loved one uh, pass on. And um, so if if you know somebody that you're going to invite who maybe has lost a loved one and would benefit from some encouragement, uh, let me see your hand. You're going to invite somebody and and give that to them and just say, this is a book that I got at my church and I want to give it to you as I invite you to. Our church. Okay, very good. This, I know this applies to everybody. This book is called Through the Storms, Help from Heaven When All Hell Breaks Loose. And maybe you know somebody who's gone through a really difficult time and just, man, life has just beaten the daylights out of them, and, and, and this could be a tool that you could use as maybe part of inviting somebody to church. Anybody on that? All right, I saw your hand right here. All right, what what is your name? Alexa. Alexa, is she the one that works at Walmart? Yeah. And you invite everybody from Walmart? All right, very good. Well, bless you for being such a good inviter and that type of thing. Now, this church I, or this book—if um, you use this to invite somebody to church, fine. But if not, it's okay. But but think about somebody you can pass it on to. This is a book called Lift experiencing the elevated life and it's about the power of resurrection and you you can't hold your hand back can you so you 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 want this don't you all right she's just waiting for me to finish so all right so i'm going to give this to you but um, you know the pow- the resurrection of jesus did not just happen so we could have an annual holiday the resurrection of Jesus happens so that we can have life and power every day. All right. So I'm, you were so eager. I'm. You know, how many of you know the Bible talks about expectation and that type of thing? So who else would like a book? OK, good. We have a table back there. And um, you can buy one. All right. So um Anyway. Uh and and if you wanna order, if you want to pre order that book on miracles and the supernatural throughout church history, uh these little slips of paper back there, and you can do that and we'll have one to you just as soon as we have it available. So I wanna I wanna open with a little story here. I was preaching in Alaska just a few weeks ago, I think it was three weeks ago today, as a matter of fact. It got down to thirty six below zero. While I was there. And um, among some of the things I taught up there, uh, I did this seminar called Miracles in the Supernatural through Church History. And I was asking the church, I said, how many of you grew up in a church where, you know, they just didn't expect miracles, never saw any results to prayer? Uh, Christianity was just kind of a, it was moral, it was ethical, it was informational, but not really anything supernatural, nobody expected God. And most everybody said, yeah, we were raised in that kind of church, and and I was too. Um, I was raised, and I just believed God did stuff back in the Bible, but you know, you can't really expect God to do anything today. And um, so I asked, the or I was talking to this pastor, and he told me that when he was a young man and first got involved in the church, uh, he was reading about all these healings in the Bible. And he was wondering, well, why did God do it then? But we, we don't hear anything about it now. So he went to the, uh, I think it may have been one of the elders of the church, and said, um, do, you all, do you all ever pray for sick people? And the elder said, well, we did that once. <laughs> he said, we had a lady in the church that was sick and, we, we prayed for her and she died and said, we'll never do that again. And so he just, you know, because they had one experience where, you know, uh, they didn't see the results they wanted. Well, let's just forget everything that the Bible says because, you know, somebody died. And that type of thing, and I, I'm not discompassionate. I'm very compassionate toward when folks have gone through loss, and that's why the very first book I wrote, you know, was to help people understand that um, uh, that God is also a comforter, and uh, the Holy Spirit wants to comfort us. The Word of God points us to things that are certainly way beyond this life. So, um, at any rate, I want to talk to you tonight. About some of these difficulties that come let me just first of all say, my goal in life is not to see miracles. That's not my goal. Um, Jesus didn't say that we were to pursue signs and wonders. as a matter of fact, Jesus said, "Go and preach the gospel and love people and you know, love one another, preach the gospel, and these signs will follow. Those who believe signs, miracles, healings, they're there to follow us. We're not to chase them. I just saw on Rick Renner's uh, Instagram or Twitter thing a while back. He said people who are obsessed with seeking miracles get weird. Just real, so we don't. This is not our pursuit. Um, my pursuit as a Christian is I, I want to love God. I want to obey God. I want to know Him. Uh, I want to glorify Him and serve Him. I want to share His love with other people. And in this whole process, one of those tools that can come in to play is when God expresses Himself through healing or a gift of the Spirit or whatever. But we don't want to get the cart before the horse. Um, when it comes to faith, Pastors, is it okay if I ask and get a little feedback from these guys? What is faith for? I I, I want to get some answers from you. What is faith for? What is the purpose of faith? What is faith supposed to do in your life? What is the purpose? I see some young hands back here. Yes, guys. Yeah, have faith that you can do what God asks you to do, right? Yeah, very good. Okay, that's a great answer. That's your grandson. Now, you didn't say that until after he'd given a really good answer. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Faith is to please God. Where, where do we get that? Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What else is faith for? Yes. Faith is just plain trusting. Pastors, I've got a beef with you. None of your people are given wrong answers. Do you know why they're not given wrong answers? Cuz you've taught them too well. You guys, you guys have been taught well by your pastors. Romans 10:17 comes by hearing. hearing and hearing by the word. You know, if I think if I was in some churches that aren't as perfect as this church that doesn't have pastors as amazing as your pastors. You know, you know what? You know what I think I might have heard when I said what is faith for? Faith is to get stuff from God. Now, You know, there's a a little sense, and yes, we receive some things from God by faith, but that's not the main purpose of faith. We do receive some things by faith. I I want to talk to you for a minute about Hebrews 11. What What I'm trying to do tonight is to put these things in overall perspective. Because like we said today, I believe we're moving into a period in church history where we are going to see a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I think we are going to see lots and lots of people coming to the Lord. And I think we are going to see some signs, wonders. I mean, even Billy Graham said that. But what is faith for? Let's go to um, Hebrews 11, 4 through 11. how many of you know what Hebrews 11 is? We already had one allusion to it. it. It's the faith chapter. It's kind of an overview in the Word of God about how people lived by faith and walked by faith. And the first five, there's many more. And, and please, let me encourage you, go home tonight and read the whole 11th chapter of Hebrews. Would you do that? But the first five, uh, number one, Abel worshipped by faith. He worshipped by faith. And, and I, probably when you read that, it's going to say he offered up a sacrifice. But that's how they worshipped. Did you know that in the Old Testament, when, when they said, let's go worship, they, they didn't mean let's go sing some songs and hear a sermon? When they said in the Old Testament, "Let's go worship," that meant "Let's go give something to God." Well, I, I you could be more excited about that. Let me say, you, let me try to get in the Old Testament. When they said, "Let's go worship," they were saying, "Let's go give something to God." Yeah, that's better. That's better. Uh, they were going to offer up a sacrifice to honor God. It really didn't. Now they might receive something in return. But their primary benefit was they were offering up a sacrifice. They were giving something that was valuable to them to honor God. So Abel worshipped God by faith. Enoch walked with God by faith. Noah prepared by faith. He was warned by God, so he prepared an ark. Uh, Abraham obeyed by faith. And finally, well, finally in this list, Sarah, she received strength by faith. But, you know, there's so many people today that because they've only been taught a sliver of truth, when they hear faith, you know what they think? Well, it's by faith that I get healed and it's by faith that I receive blessings, financial blessings. And that's okay. That's part of it. But boy, that's not all of it. By faith, we worship God. By faith, we walk with God. We prepare. We listen to God and do what God says do. We obey God and we also receive strength. But you know what? Most people get excited about the first part of Hebrews. But did you know most people don't know much about the latter part of Hebrews? Let's go to this next verse. And and I'll tell you what, this is not the kind of stuff that probably you want to shout about. It's talking about people who live by faith. And it says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings. And scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. It goes on to say this in the next slide. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through what? That doesn't sound like a very successful life. That doesn't sound like a very victorious life. But even though they were... How many of you know how blessed we are in America? There are many parts of the world yet today where people are being put to death for Jesus Uh, You know, there are more people being put to death for Jesus, persecution, martyrdom in any given year now than whatever happened in the early church. You know, we talk about the early church where people were fed to the lions and burnt at the stake and things like that. You know, we live in America, so we may not hear about it. But in many of these other parts of the world, I mean, they're killing Christians because they love Jesus. But the Bible says that these obtained a good testimony through faith. They did not receive the promise or they did not receive the full manifestation of, you know, what ultimately they're they're going to have. They did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We tend in America, how many of you know we are probably the most individualistic nation in the world, culture and society. Most other cultures think far more about themselves as families and communities. America has me-itis. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's all about the individual. And, and that's not entirely, you know, bad or whatever, but but we need to understand we're part of the body of Christ. And faith is not just, it's not a boutique faith for me to get stuff from God. Faith is, is, as one of the individuals said, I think you said, faith is trust. It's trusting God. And even these people that did not get the results that you and I would consider the epitome of a successful, victorious life... God said they had a good testimony because of their faith. You know what? They trusted God in spite of bad circumstances. A friend of mine, our next slide. Please don't tell Gerald Brooks that I quoted him. Okay? But a friend of mine, pastor friend, He and I are very competitive, but I actually admire him and respect him. I just don't want him getting the big head thinking I quoted him. A friend of mine took a look at Hebrews 11, and he came up with what he believes are three types of faith presented in Hebrews 11. The first type is, this is the type that is preached in most American pulpits. This is the type that is most popular. It's what everybody wants to hear. Um... And, and it's called triumphant faith. And, and you see it in Hebrews 11. As a matter of fact, if you go through Hebrews 11 and look for these three different uh, types of faith, triumphant faith is faith that results in changed circumstances. How many of you know we like changed circumstances? We like it when the walls of Jericho fall down. We like it when David kills Goliath. We like it when, you know, when things change. But, you know, you stop and think about those types of faith we looked at. Abel worshipped by faith. Enoch walked with God. There's nothing about changed circumstances. Faith is for more than just changing your circumstances. Faith Is for changing you. And that's the second type of faith that is mentioned here. Transformational faith, that's faith that changes you, that builds your trust, that causes you to be more like Jesus, that uh, empowers you in your obedience, empowers you in your walk with God. And then there's a third type of faith that Gerald points out, and that is what he called transcending faith. Transcending faith. And that's faith that trusts God in spite of negative circumstances. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever had a situation that didn't turn out the way you wanted? I mean, if you if you just could, you know, control everything... You, you would have made it turn out different, but it was, it was out of your control and that type of thing. See, that's where faith is really tested. Can you trust God anyway? And, and our next slide is another quote from my friend Gerald. He said, we must have faith bigger than life. Our faith cannot be superficial or circumstantial. Our faith must be bigger than today and bigger than tomorrow. Our faith must be greater than any circumstance we ever deal with. Faith is more about heaven than it is about earth. Our faith takes us beyond this planet. And how many people are there that say, well, you know, I prayed and something didn't turn out right, so, well, I just don't believe in God anymore. I just don't trust God anymore. That type of thing. Faith has to be bigger than that. You know, one thing that you have such an advantage of, and I'm not I'm not trying to be flattering and superficial on this, but seriously, the, the folks that preach the Word here, because I know they're going to make sure that you get fed good, solid Word, you're going to be taught... That the Bible, the Word of God, is truth. And if you experience something different than that, or whatever, God's word is still true. And 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 we're not being hard or discompassionate about that. But but God's word is true, no matter what I may go through. I want you to turn in your Bibles um, to Acts chapter twelve. Uh, we're gonna, we can go ahead to that screen, but, but you're gonna need to read this more in your Bible than what we have room to put everything up on the screen. How many know it's good to read your own Bible sometimes? I love it that we can put the scriptures up on the screen, but we also want to make sure we read our own Bible too. About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. One verse. Look at verse 2. Then he, Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. One verse. James was a pretty important guy in the Bible. All through the Gospels, you read about Jesus' top three disciples. Who are they? Peter, James, and John. This is that James. There's another James. We'll mention him in a little bit. Uh, think about how John felt about this. His own brother. His mom and his dad. You know, they're mentioned in the New Testament. Zebedee was the father of James and John. And their mother was named Salome. And yeah, uh, you know, how many of you know it's no fun to get a relative killed? Um, they believed in heaven. You know, they they knew that. James was with the Lord and all that. How many of you know there's still a natural side that still feels things? Um, But look at verse 3. And because he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had been arrested, when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him uh, bring him before the people after passover acts 12:5 peter was therefore kept in prison but constant prayer was offered to god by offered to god for him by the church now how many of you if you get put in prison and they're about to put you to death and we know this was bogus. Peter hadn't broken any laws, but they were just going to kill him for preaching the gospel. How many of you would want your church praying for you? Okay. So the church is making constant prayer. But, you know, I wonder if anybody said, well, I don't know if it'll help to pray because, you know, we prayed for James. We assumed they prayed for James. We prayed for James and it didn't work. So we're not going to bother praying for Peter because, well, we just don't want to be disappointed again. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping. Bound with two chains between two soldiers... And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. You know what? They weren't taking any chances. Now, why weren't they taking any chances? Because Herod had had a part one time in this guy named Jesus being put to death and buried. And then the next thing you know, Jesus has come back alive. So Herod was probably a little bit superstitious. And he thought, man, we're not having any other deals like that. So we're going to chain Peter up. He's going to be chained to uh, guards We're going to have guards right outside the door. Um, I mean, this was what we would call an impossible situation. Now behold, verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. Peter must have been a deep sleeper. If God wanted to wake you up, is he going to have to have an angel slap you in the middle of the night? "...struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals, and so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he, Peter, went out and followed him, the angel, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision." Isn't that something? Now, Peter, he may have been a really deep sleeper. He may still be groggy. What is this really happening? Or am I imagining this? I told Pastor Bernie on the way here last night, I dreamt I was the president of the United States and I was enjoying the White House. And then, you know, I woke up and it wasn't real, you know, um, but it was real nice in there. So um, so Peter kind of didn't know, is this real? Is this uh, am I having a vision, a dream and that type of thing? Uh, he thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, it took Peter a while to realize this, this is really happening. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Did you notice it took, it took a while for Peter to realize that? God was doing a miracle, and Peter wasn't even sure if it was real or not. Stop and think about that. Do you know what that tells me? When that angel woke him up, Peter didn't say, hallelujah, this is exactly what i prayed for. You know, it took Peter several minutes probably to realize realize this, this is really happening. And so, it says in verse 12, so when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, paraphrase, you're crazy. So what are these people praying for? They're praying for Peter to get set free from prison. So Peter knocks on the door... And the girl goes in and says, hey, Peter's here. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> so now let, let's ask a question seriously. How strong was their faith? When, when this girl said, you know, number one, she just left Peter locked outside. And she just goes in. But they said, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. But they said, well, it's his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James. That's the other James, not his brother who had been put to death. That's James, the one that wrote the the book of James, and was Jesus' half-brother. Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Well, obviously, Peter's going to get out of there because that was known for a kind of a Christian headquarters at that house. And he knew they'd come looking for him, so he went somewhere else. He used some common sense there. He didn't say, well, God delivered me once, so I'm just going to stay right here. No, he he kind of used some good common sense and got out of there. But you, you say, why did you read all this? Because I want I want you to see something that I think is very important to see. How many verses are given to James being put to death? One. And how how blunt and abrupt is it? Then Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Period. Do you see what I'm saying? When, when something didn't work out well, there's just a statement. But when Peter gets miraculously delivered, there's like lots of verses there. How many of you know, we like the positive testimonies better than the ones that didn't turn out quite so great. But see, I wonder, how was John? How did John process this? Do you think in their humanity, because boy, they were fully human just like us. If your brother had been killed or your son had been killed and now all of a sudden Peter is miraculously set free. Can you see how that could play with your mind? What, did God not love my brother as much as he loved Peter? Did, did God not love our son James as much as he? And I wondered, when the people were celebrating Peter's deliverance, I, I wondered, did anybody think about, man, we need to go give a hug to this? Do you know the Bible not only says rejoice with those that rejoice? But the Bible says, weep with those that weep. And here's something I believe firmly. Now, how many of you would rather have lots of Peter testimonies than James being put to death? I understand that Luke, in in writing this, spent a lot more time talking about Peter's deliverance. But what I'm saying is, as a church... We have a responsibility to help everybody that we can. Do you know one thing I do not know, Pastor Bernie? I if, I cannot explain why did Peter get miraculously delivered and James get put to death. I don't know. But you know what? I have to believe that God is good no matter what. And I'm going to go back to something that Pastor David said during the offering. Do you remember one of his test- his scriptures was... Trust, you remember the Scripture he used? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean to your own understanding. If you're going to have great faith, you're going to have to put trust ahead of some things that maybe you don't understand. Can I tell you, I've been in ministry for 40 years and there are some things, boy, I don't under, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it that way. But, and I know there's human elements, there's many variables involved and things of that nature, but I cannot allow myself not to trust God because of something I don't understand or something that doesn't make sense. I've seen too many situations where somebody got disappointed and instead of saying, you know, Lord, I don't understand this, I'm going to trust You to be my comforter. And I'm going to trust You to give me understanding. And if You reveal to me this thing that I don't understand, that's wonderful. If not, I'll just assume You'll explain it to me in heaven. But in the meantime, I'm going to trust in You with all of my heart. I'm not going to let some negative experience cause me to not believe your word anymore. Okay? I want to take you to another place in Scripture. Matthew. This is our next Scripture on the screen. Matthew chapter 13, I believe it is. Matthew 13. No, 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. How many of you remember what Pastor David? I keep quoting him, but how many of you remember what he shared this morning about the loaves and the fishes, and that there was what? There was an abundance, there was an overflow. Well, keep that in mind because what we're what we're about to read happened immediately before that. What happened in verse thirteen? It says, "As soon as Jesus heard the news." Anybody here know what news it is that he heard? John the Baptist. Now, I hope you don't leave here tonight saying, man, that was a downer of a sermon. Man, oh, Brother Cook, we thought he was talking about miracles. He just talked about all these people getting killed. But that's that's a part of life. Negative things are a part of life. Um, And our faith has to be bigger than some of the things that happen in this life. Somebody tell me who John the Baptist was. Tell me who John the Baptist was, Joel. Oh my goodness. You Okay, go ahead. You're right. Okay, go ahead. He was Jesus' cousin and he baptized people in the Jordan River. He was not supposed to know that he was Jesus' cousin. That's your grandson. See... What everybody knows is that John preceded Jesus and told everybody to repent, to make way for the Messiah. See, that was supposed to be my line as the knowledgeable preacher, but Joel already knew that. Do you even need me here? Do I even need to be here? You guys know everything already. See, when we read about John the Baptist being beheaded by Herod, a lot of people think, well, yeah, that was a preacher. He had baptized Jesus. But that was also Jesus' cousin. So there's a family connection here. And what what did Jesus do when he heard the news? When he heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Why did Jesus want to get in a boat and go to a remote area to be alone? To grief? He's human. He was feeling this. You know, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. The, the Bible said Jesus was made like unto us in every way, Except that he was without sin. Jesus had emotions. And he just got word that his cousin had been cruelly and senselessly put to death by an evil, wicked king. And Jesus says, I want to be alone. Anybody here ever want to be alone? Sometimes you just don't want to be bothered by people. You don't want to be. Do you know some people, when they have a great tragedy in their life, and this is part of why we wrote that book, Life After Death. They, they, bitterness comes in. Unforgiveness comes in. And it can, it can, uh, be a challenge in their life for a long, long time. So Jesus did something that's very understandable. And it says, but when the crowds heard where he was headed, they followed on foot and, and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowds as He stepped from the boat. He didn't get any break at all. He saw the huge crowds as He stepped from the boat, and He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Pastor Bernie, I don't understand this. He wanted to be alone. He was hurting. But you know what? You know what Jesus did? He, he, he trusted God. And he knew that, hey, even though I've just been dealt something really hard, God still loves people. God still wants, you know, you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, well, I don't know why John died. I guess I'm going to quit trying to help people because God obviously doesn't want to help people because John died. He helped people anyway. He had compassion. And and it was because of compassion that healing power flowed, even when Jesus Himself may have been reeling emotionally from a disappointment. What am I saying? We don't want to fall into the trap that the story I opened up with where that guy said, well, we prayed for somebody once and uh, they died, so we'll never do that again. What if Jesus had taken that attitude? And see, after He had compassion on them and healed their sick, you know what, I think it's the very next verse, Jesus said, give them something to eat. So the compassion didn't stop with just supernatural healing. Jesus wanted to do something to meet their physical needs at that particular moment. I just enjoy that. So here, what is my encouragement to you tonight? My encouragement is we're going to trust God no matter what. And if we see some things along the way where something doesn't turn out the way we'd like it, you know, I don't think anybody in the Jerusalem church wanted to see James put to death. I don't think anybody wanted to see John the Baptist put to death. But you know what? The church, believers, even Jesus in the Gospels, You know what they did? They just kept doing the will of God. They didn't allow a negative circumstance to cause them to fly up the white flag of surrender and say, well, we're not going to expect anything from God in the future. I'm sure they grieved over these things. I'm sure they hurt over these things. And you know what then they did? They said, but we're here to preach the gospel. We're here to tell people that God loves them, God cares about them, and we're going to believe God to impact their lives, to change their lives, to touch their lives. And and we may have to go back sometimes in some situations where we, we have to look at Hebrews 11. There is a triumphant faith that does change circumstances. And if the circumstances change, praise God. But if not... There's a transformational faith that changes me. And there's also a transcendent faith that if some of the circumstances don't work out, I'm going to trust God anyway. And you know what Paul said right in the middle of all that? And without faith, it's impossible to please him. We may not how many of you know have learned that you don't have absolute control over everything that happens on the planet Earth? boy, I just wish I could change lots of people. I wish I could change the way people think. I wish I could change the way people believe. I wish I could change the way people do things. But you know what? I don't have that ability. And even God, who could do that, doesn't. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can trust God. And I thank God when, when a healing or a miracle is instantaneous, but I said this this morning and I really haven't gone into it tonight, I apologize. Uh, but there are things also that happen progressively that are more of a process. And I've seen people that if, if their, if their answer to prayer is not instantaneous, they're very quick to give up and to quit. And, and probably, probably, more let, let me just ask you this question. How many of you have seen in your life an instant answer to prayer or faith? Let me see your hand. Hold it up real high. Let me hold it up real high. Now look around. Turn around and look. All the, In the front, look around. There's a lot of hands up. Okay? Now go ahead and put your hands down. A lot of people have seen an instant answer to prayer. I have. I mean, super... God did... change. I mean, it was one way, one second. It was totally changed the next... And the only person that could have done it was God. I've seen that. And, and I'll tell you, preachers love to preach about the suddenlies. Do you know no preachers ever preach about the gradualies? Because <laughs> they don't get people as excited. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever seen an answer to prayer, but it, it happened over a process. It happened gradually. It, let me ask you that Is God more involved in one than the other? Or do we give God glory and credit for everything? Now, I'm going to say something, and I hope it doesn't create any problems, but I'm quoting Brother Hagin, who I know your pastors love. I heard something... I, I traveled with Brother Hagen for a handful of years. Uh worked for him uh for eighteen and a half. Um was a student of his before that and um and I don't I'm not just trying to drop names, but you know I was somewhat close to Brother Hagen and I, I knew him and interacted with him and and really honored, but and I thought he was just such a wonderful minister of the gospel. But you know what? He was human. He wasn't. We don't put him on a pedestal to worship him. We certainly respect and admire him. But he said one thing, and I just knew when he said it, he was wrong, because because I was twenty one and I kind of knew everything, and um, um, and he said this, and I'm going to throw this out to you. I'm going to let you process it. And if you don't like it, you know, you're under no... It's not in the Bible. This is just his statement. So, you know, take it or leave it. Because I know when he first said it, I was ready to leave it. Until I thought about it a lot more and maybe got a little bit further down the road in spiritual things. Brother Hagin said that sometimes... Now notice the qualification. Sometimes. Not every time. He said sometimes instantaneous healings and he used probably wording, but you know, he, he said sometimes instantaneous healings are more of a curse than a blessing. And I heard that when I was like 21 I was a student at Ramah and he said that and I thought, oh, Brother Hagen, I, mean, I know you're a man of God. I know you know the Bible. You're a great Bible teacher. But boy, that's just wrong. But you know what? The more the more I learned and grew spiritually. Now, I don't think he meant it really in the maybe the extreme curse type thing, but maybe we could reword it this way. Sometimes it's more beneficial to our faith to receive something from God gradually by faith than it is just to have it dropped in our lap as like from a gift of the Spirit or whatever. And he went on to explain this, that when we receive something, an instantaneous something, he said, we don't grow in the process. The benefit is just dropped in our lap and we're blessed. But he said, so many people that receive something from God instantaneously, because it was instantaneous, they didn't go through any type of growing process, and so they receive it instantaneously. But he said many times when the enemy counter attacks because their faith did not grow, they just they just lose it you know they they you know a symptom or two will come back and the people they haven't developed their faith so a symptom or two will attack them come back and they'll say well i thought god healed me but i guess he didn't and then they end up losing the whole thing but brother Hagin said when you receive healing gradually by faith by letting the word be medicine to your flesh and, and it comes to you in, in degrees, and as the, the healing is coming, you're continuing to grow in your faith and build your faith. When you finally have the full manifestation, you not only have the healing, but you have developed your faith, and your faith is strong. Do, do you understand what he's saying? I know the wording initially is kind of abrupt and that type of thing. But I I really came to see, I believe he knew exactly what he was talking about. So here's what we're saying. We serve a God of miracles. But God, we don't want to just pursue miracles. You know what? We want to pursue Him. We want to pursue spiritual growth. We want to pursue people through love and serving we want to not just acknowledge the supernatural workings of God, but we want to acknowledge the, the practical things that we can do, you know, to reach out and love people and, you know, show kindness. And just, you know, God is a, He's the God of the whole package. And yes, we're emphasizing some things on miracles, but but we just want to emphasize the whole thing. We want to emphasize patience, perseverance, endurance. Uh, in addition to the miraculous. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.